If you would open your Bibles, we're in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be continuing on in our series called Simply Christmas. And it's a series that we are, we're looking at the Christmas story chronologically from beginning to end. And last week, we studied a little bit in the book of Mark. If you remember, Mark really doesn't have a whole lot of of content in the Christmas story. He basically said once upon a time and opened up our story. That was about it last week, right? And, and then, we, then we saw a little, we, we saw some from John who was telling us that Christmas did not start in the manger. And we focused in, and we learned that, that it didn't start even with John the Baptist being born. And then it didn't start with the Old Testament prophets. And it didn't even start with David. It didn't start with Abraham. Christmas didn't start with Adam and Eve. It even started before creation. We learned that the Christmas story started in heaven. And all through John chapter 1, we saw that John was making a point that shows that Jesus is superior to all of the other pagan gods and the idols of this world that were being worshipped by many people at the time. Because Jesus was there in the beginning. He is so superior to anything that anyone was worshipping. See, the beginning of our Christmas story, it didn't even start on earth. But today, we're going to start looking at the pieces of our Christmas story that do start on earth. But before we get to the manger, we've got to go back and see what happens before the birth of Jesus. We think about Christmas and we often like to think about the manger scene out in someone's front yard with a baby doll and maybe some hay. But there's a lot of the story that happened before that night. As any mom and dad will tell you that the day their child is born is is such an amazing day, but there's so much to the story of a pregnancy that comes before the trip to the hospital, right? That's the moments that moms and dads are going to remember but those are maybe they're not all of the moments in like month number seven maybe those aren't the moments that make it to facebook and maybe they're not the moments that that are going to make it to the baby book and that the family's going to remember but they're so important times during the pregnancy and one of the experiences in a birth that no parent is going to forget is that moment when a mom and a dad actually find out the news themselves that they're pregnant. If you're a mom or a dad, you think back to that moment that you learned, right? Isn't that such an important moment? That is an important moment. I'd like you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 this morning as we're going to actually be reading a vast amount of content today, and typically we'd have it up on the screens, but today I'm going to read through. If you have your Bible, um, stay with us. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going from verses 5 through 56 in a message that I have titled, The Birth Announcements. Starting off in Luke chapter 1, verse number 5. Luke writes, In the days of Herod, the king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both 
righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in their years. Now, it was happening that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. I want to stop right there for a second. So this area in Palestine, this area in and around Jerusalem, this is, uh, and, and if, we, if you think about kind of your biblical map, and in even our modern day and age, it would be in the Jerusalem area, and the temple was there. And you had priests from all over the region. At the time, there's about 20,000 priests. If you think about it, that's a lot of priests, right? 20,000 priests. And there's one church to service. There's one temple to work at, okay? So you've got about 20,000 of them, and so what they do is they break, they break them up into groups of about 850 to 1,000 priests, and their job is to work at the temple one week at a time, but twice a year they're going to work for one week, okay? So they take rotations, all these different groups working at the temple. And so Zechariah is one priest in about 20,000. One guy. And his group is working this week at the temple. Now, what happens is, if you can imagine, you have about 850 guys who are working at the temple. And as priests, there's probably some pretty cool jobs to do, right? There's the burning of the incense, going inside, doing some of the, the services, leading the worship service. Some, uh, some of the priests aren't going to get the really cool jobs. They're going to have to like take out the trash. They're going to have to sweep. But what happens is, is they, they choose who's going to be doing these jobs based on what's called lot, based on lot. You, the, they would throw, it, almost similar to like a dice of sorts. And so... With these priests there, if the lot falls to you and you get one of the super cool jobs, that's an honor to be able to get one of the jobs that might have you uh, lighting the incense. And Zechariah was one that the lot fell to this time. Now remember last week we, we had talked about the fact that how much detail went into the fact that Jesus was going to be born of a virgin in Bethlehem with all of these prophecies coming true. And we talked about the fact that in God's providence, he had put in plans so far in advance to get these things to happen exactly the way they needed to happen. This is the same thing that's happening to Zechariah. If you can imagine 20,000 priests and he's about to end up one-on-one -on -one inside the temple with an angel. But he had to have been on duty, and the lot had to have fallen to him. 
for him to be picked to go and do this particular job. So what are the chances that Zechariah, a deeply God-fearing priest, would have his group of a thousand men on staff at the temple, and he would draw the long straw to be able to go in and do the priestly duties one-on-one inside the temple? I'd actually venture to say that there is absolutely no chance that that happens. It only happens by the hand of God. That's the only way this happens. It only happens by the fact that God put the pieces in place from the beginning. That leads us to point number one in your notes this morning. When God wants to talk to you, he will single you out. When God wants to talk to you, he will single you out. God is about to talk to Zechariah. And you said, you say, Pastor, I think that I thought I, this is a Christmas story, right? Yeah, it is. We're in the Christmas story. And we're in birth announcements. Because there's an announcement that's about to be made. Have you ever looked at a situation, maybe in your life, when you look back and you realize there is absolutely no way what just happened actually happened by chance? Can you think of a time when, when, when you say, I just made it through that, but I don't know how. I don't know how that happened. Like, that is... It's because it didn't just happen. It's because God has His hand in your life as well. Remember when the phone rang and it was a family member who you haven't talked to in over a decade? And you, you sit back and say, how does that happen? Or when you couldn't find your way out of a situation and all of a sudden there's this, there's this person who, who reaches out to you and grabs you and lifts you up? Or maybe you're mourning the loss of someone and struggling on how to get through the situation and you're going through some old belongings and there's maybe a gift that you gave that just brings back hope in a difficult time. We might not know why God does things, but He knows well in advance what it's going to take to get us back listening to him because sometimes we're pretty stubborn and um, we don't like to open our ears very often and listen to God right Zechariah was forced to listen come back with me into verse number 12 Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Verse number 16, And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitudes of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. When we spoke last week, 
we're going to look at the birth of John the Baptist, in the, and that's who we're speaking about right now. We're talking about John the Baptist. Zechariah, this is John the Baptist's father. I gave an illustration last week about a classroom filled with 30 third graders and what would happen if the if the teacher stepped out of the classroom for a few minutes maybe to talk to a a principal or another teacher or a parent and and we talked about what happens then one kid is assigned window duty and the and the other 29 kids are going to wreak havoc all over the classroom right what they're going to do they're going to um they're going to throw paper airplanes throw rocks they're going to pull hair they're going to uh, spit wads right right And then there's one kid at the window whose job is to say, teacher's coming, the teacher's coming, right? And then everyone runs to get back in their seat, right? See, John the Baptist, his job was to tell everyone that the teacher's coming. You like that one? He's going to use that one. He's going to write that down. John the Baptist, his job was to tell everyone the teacher's coming. Get back in your seat. He was to be the forerunner to the Messiah and to tell everyone that the Messiah is coming. And see, here's the thing. Zechariah, the father, he knows this. See, he's a priest, right? You don't get to be a priest at the temple just by showing up at a job fair, filling out an application. They say, hey, eh, you you look like you can work. Yeah, you know anything about God? Sure. Okay, you're in. No, so to be a priest, though, typically you don't enter the priesthood till you're, till you're 30 years old. And if you think there's 850 in, or 1,000 priests in this group, and there's 24 groups, and there's 20 or 24,000 priests, that's a pretty competitive gig, right? So here's the thing, Zechariah knows because he's from a bloodline of a priestly lineage. He, he, and it, so is his wife, Elizabeth. She knows too. Here's what she knows, and here's what they know. They know what we call our Old Testament. Probably a lot better than we do. That was their Bible. When the angel starts talking, and when the angel starts saying things like, it is he who will be a forerunner before him... Wow, Zechariah knows exactly what you're talking about because Isaiah spoke of a forerunner. I know that. I'm a priest. I preach these things. You're telling me the forerunner? Wow, the Messiah's coming. I know what that means. Zechariah sat and, and, and Gabriel told him that his son, John, was going to be the forerunner And look what the angel said that John was going to do. Gabriel said, John is going to turn many of the children of Israel back to God. Although John the Baptist is not the Messiah, there are going to be so many men who are going to recognize who he is that they're going to come back. There's people who are going to recognize, okay, that is the forerunner. The Messiah has to be coming somewhere soon. Um, I better get back to my seat because the teacher's coming. I better go back. Verse number 18. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. 
And the angel answered him and said, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. See, there's so much in those last three verses and again, see, man is making the mistake of questioning God. Zechariah knows this, right? If there's an angel that's going to come to you, he has singled you out in the temple. Zechariah is doing a job. There's no other priests around, okay? He has a very important job to do. Angel Gabriel comes. Zechariah has all of this knowledge. He knows this story. It should make sense. But Zacharias still questions it. Man, again, questioning God. And once again, when you question God, is it fair to say that there's consequences? Point number two in your notes this morning, when God speaks, it is our job to listen. Zechariah was a priest. He knew the sayings of the Lord. He knew the prophecies. He knew everything that the angel Gabriel had told him was absolutely true, but he still questioned it. He hesitated. He argued. He started running his mouth. And then what did Gabriel do? Yep. He shut, he shut the mouth of the man who should have known better than to question God. See, Zechariah, he was trained. He knew the answers. You and I, maybe we don't have all of the answers, but we do have direction. See, here's a little bit of a difference between us and Zechariah. Zechariah would have grown up and he works with priests. He knows this stuff. Faith, religion, what God says is so much a part of his life. He should know this inside out. Now, I can't say that everyone here today knows our Bible inside out. So when it comes to making our decisions, we can't really fall back on what we know or what we think we know. We need to go back to the book. We need to go back to the book first and see what does God say. See, Zechariah should have known exactly what God had said. Is it fair for us to go making decisions saying we think this is what God says? doesn't really give God the, the, the justice that, that he deserves. What are we to do when we hear God nudging us? We're to go look at his book. We're to go and read his book. Is this nudge, is it biblical? Is this God talking to me? Or is this worldly wisdom talking to me? Because we talked a few weeks ago that God gives wisdom and Satan gives wisdom too, right? And we have to discern the difference. We have to figure out exactly what is being said here. I'll tell you something. There is no false in this book. There is no false in this book. You take that nudge through the book, does it match up? Godly wisdom. But if we're making that decision without a look at the book, we could be getting ourselves in a whole lot of trouble, right? And once we know for sure that God has a direction for us and His Word con confirms His commands to us, to us, what do we do then? What, are, what is our job to do then? We need to move, right? We need to move. We don't need to hesitate. We don't need to continue to ask God the same questions that we already know. If he has given us the answer, it's in the book. 
We need to move. Zechariah kept questioning because God will eventually shut our mouth and ask us not to speak so that we can spend more time listening. Amen? Sometimes it's a little less talking to God and a little more listening to God. We can't move on every little thing that we think that we are being told to do. We have to bring it back. Sometimes in a counseling session, I'll hear somebody will say, Pastor, I think God's telling me to do this. Do you have any, any idea what my first response is to that is? Let's go look in the book. Let's go to the book. We can't make our own path. I think God shut the mouth of Zechariah to send this man home to think for a while. Let's pick up the action in verse number 21. Zechariah is still inside the temple. The people were waiting for Zechariah and were wondering about his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and, re and he remained mute. When the days of his priestly service had ended, he went back home. So he came out of the temple and he had more responsibility to do. He, he had some uh, benedictions that he was supposed to do. He, he had other work that he needed to do, that he, but he couldn't do it now because he's mute. He can't speak. He can't, he can't put blessings over people. And once the Sabbath was over, once Saturday came, and Saturday was over, his tour of the temple, his job is done. So he gets to go home. Him and all the other 850 to 1,000 guys, they head out and the next group is going to come in. Imagine what Elizabeth, his wife, would have thought when her husband shows up after being gone for a week and now he can't talk. Like, what is... I know you guys can't see what I just saw back here. That... Ruby, that's not even fair. That's... I asked that question and Ruby went like this. Yes! <laughs> this, um... You got me simply oh, way off track. Thank you. <laughs> simply Christmas continues in verse number 24. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. See, to be a woman at that time, at her age, with no children, you would be ridiculed. It was, it was an honor to have children. It was an honor to have many children. And Zechariah and Elizabeth, although they were dedicated to God, they had no children. And there would have been suffering and ridicule and, and public humiliation that would have come into their own age because they're a home without joy. But now the Lord has given them a child. She is pregnant now, in her older age, and about, this is about six months after Elizabeth becomes pregnant with John, the angel Gabriel is out making birth announcements again. We're in verse number 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man who was named Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. 
The Lord is with you. Let me ask you, how would you feel if an angel actually came up to you and started talking to you, calling you the favored one? Um, you'd probably be wondering if what you were seeing was real, if it was a hoax, if it was a reaction to the medication that you're taking or the medication that you're not taking, right? Like, here is a being. Okay, so think about our stereotypical angel, okay? You can use that in your mind. There is a being right there glowing in white with wings, and it is talking to you. Let's, um, verse number 29. I think this is an understatement, but she was very perplexed. But it'd be, it'd be fair to say that, that it's probably an understatement on her reaction. She's very perplexed at this statement, but watch this. But kept pondering what kind of a salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. I think the perplexity of her reaction shows her humanity. There's some folks and there's some faiths that would say that Mary's angelic. You probably wouldn't be perplexed at an angel if you were angelic. That shows her humanity. He's saying, wow, okay, this is, um, this is really interesting. This hasn't happened before. But look at her response to the angel, verse number 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For, watch this, you know what, read this with me. Verse number 37, For nothing will be impossible with God. This is one of the points that the Bible makes that just doesn't make sense to us humans. Everyone here knows, I would venture to say everyone here knows how babies are made. We've all had that uncomfortable talk. I'm sure that Mary had had that talk. She'd never been with a man in her life. And this has to be very perplexing to her. She's engaged to this guy who's probably not going to be too excited when he finds out that she's pregnant, but see, Mary loves God. And Mary trusts God. And even though she knows that there is no earthly way that this happens, she knows that there is a heavenly way for this to happen. She didn't question as to, are you serious? That wasn't her question. Point number three in your notes this morning. Watch this. The improbable is always possible when God is in control. The improbable is always possible when God is in control. Some people say that Mary questioned Gabriel the same way that Zechariah questioned Gabriel. Two different ways of looking at things here. Zechariah questioned Gabriel and said, how do I know that you're telling me the truth? Same angel, right? Same guy. 
Mary questioned Gabriel and said, okay, how's this going to work and what can I do? She was told. She was perplexed. She says, okay, I get it. Um, Honestly, I think she said, okay, so I'm kind of interested in the science behind this. I'm not quite sure how this is going to work. And tell me, uh, what can I do? I'm game. Let's go. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. She didn't question and say, hey, is this for real? Like, how do I know you're telling me the truth? Is it like a secret handshake or something? Like, no. She said, okay, I'm the Lord's servant. I don't get it, but I'm following. I'm going to do. Scholars believe that, that Mary was probably in her teenage years, as young as 12, 13, 14 years old. I think it would be fair to say that if you've just been visited from an angel who told you that you were going to have a child, even though you'd never been intimate, and that child that you were carrying was going to be highly important over all of mankind, was going to reign on the throne of Jacob forever, it would be understandable that you probably would want to run and tell somebody that you trust. Fair? Fair enough? And I think that if this news that you just heard was this important, and this, can we say it kind of crazy? by modern standards, it probably would be a better idea to talk to somebody who you really trust in more of a private conversation rather than put this story up on Instagram with pictures of your baby bump holding a sign that says, hey, look what the angel just told me, it's a boy, right? It's probably, probably not the kind of announcement that you want to put out. You're probably going to find someone a little older, maybe a little wiser to talk to, Maybe somebody who has pretty strong faith to talk to. Maybe an older relative who has a husband who's a priest that just worked at the temple a few months ago and really knows this stuff, right? Maybe there's someone you can go and talk to. Do you see the circle? You see this? Verse number 39. Now at this time, Mary arose and she went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judea, where, and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how... And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. See, Elizabeth knows what's going on. Mary knows what's going on. Zachariah knows what's going on. And now there's so much joy in this house because this entire family of relatives, they realize that the Messiah is coming and that Christ is almost here. Can you imagine Mary and Elizabeth and the husband and Zechariah in the house? They've all three been visited or at least Zachariah and, 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 and Mary are probably talking about their conversations 
Like, yeah, this is what it was like when Gabriel was there. And, and Mary's like, so what was it like when, uh, when you saw Gabriel? And, and Zachariah's like, he can't, he can't talk, right? He's like, that's all he could do, right? And then Mary sings. Verse number 46. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is His name. And His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear Him. He has done many deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. This is Mary's song. This is what she's saying. She's, she's in the room. Her and Elizabeth and Zechariah are there, and, and she's just pouring out this praise. Verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. So far in our story of Simply Christmas, all of our parents now know about what's going to happen. All of our parents except one. How come the dads are almost always the last to know? It's like mom finds out and goes and calls grandma, calls Aunt Betty, calls best friend at work. And then dad comes home and it's like, oh yeah, by the way. Well, dad should at least be second to find out, you would think. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to finish up this morning in um, verses uh, 18 through 25 in Matthew chapter 1. As I've mentioned, this entire sermon series is chronological, so we're going from beginning to end, and we're taking things in order from the beginning of the story. And so here's a godly man, probably a teenager himself, a woodworker. Verse number 18, and now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. This is Matthew writing, not Luke now. When his mother married had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stop for a quick second. The word betrothed, it is a, um, so it's similar in our culture to an engagement, but it has more authority to it. It would be between an engagement and a, a marriage, okay? So it, it would be more legal than an engagement, but not as, it doesn't come with all the benefits of marriage, so to speak. That's being betrothed. When it says that um, uh, before they had come together, before they had come together, or sometimes it would say before they had known each other, just means that they hadn't been intimate at all. And Joseph, her husband, verse number 19, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, 
Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So here's Joseph. Hearing instructions from the angel, probably perplexed himself, right? There's one thing the angel said that had to have struck him. It's at the very end of verse number 21. And and Gabriel said this about Joseph's son. He says, and he will save his people from their sins. Wow. Wow. So I'm going to raise this son. I'm going to teach him. And there is so much that this child will do. What what a responsibility that this angel gives to Joseph. As we wrap up our message today on the birth announcements, We have to remember the point in all of this. And you're going to see in your notes this morning, point number four being exactly the same as point number three last week. Because it is so important, point number four in your notes, the child was born in the manger for one reason. Will you read this with me? To die on the cross. The child was born in the manger for one reason. And Joseph may not have known exactly what was going to happen, but Joseph knew and was told that he will save his people from their sins. That was so important. All the excitement of the Christmas season is for one reason. It's because God loves us so much that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Because in our chronological story of Christmas, a child in the womb of a teenage girl actually can do things that we can't. This child will save us all. And here's the thing, there is absolutely nothing that any of us could do on our own to achieve what this child did for all of humanity. They say that over a hundred billion people have walked the face of the earth since it was created, ballpark, give or take two or three. And Jesus came to save every single person and you and I couldn't even and can't even save ourselves that's how important this child is if you're here this morning and you wonder at all how a child can save you it's because it's not simply a child Jesus was not simply now in the womb of Mary This child is God. It's the one who died for you. The one who died for me. I'm going to come back with me finally to verse number 22. 
And all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her as a virgin until she gave birth to her son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph did what he was told because there was so much importance on the life of this child that is going to have an effect on every single life after this moment. This is a very important birth. If if you're here this morning just wondering how important this child is to you, and and if, if if you're not quite sure exactly if you've, if you've come to the realization of how important this child is, I'd love to pray with you this morning. I'm going to be up front as Pastor Daniel plays here in a moment. <clears throat> and I'd love to talk to you more about how Jesus was born to die for all of us. How He came to save us from our sins. And how it's our belief in Him alone that gives us a chance to live in eternity with Him. And we can't get there on our own.